passion, innovation, X-Factor, enthusiasm, and leadership in education. That's what the Pixel Classroom Podcast is all about. I'm your host, Ryan Reed, business and technology teacher. You can listen to the Pixel Classroom Podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and even now on Amazon Podcasts. You can even copy the RSS feed right to your computer for easy listening. And if you like what you hear, please think of subscribing to the podcast and please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome to episode 37 for December 2020. And today on the Pixel Classroom podcast, I have a great guest today. He is a passion energetic educator and learner with over a decade of instructional experience on the K through 12 and collegiate level, an award-winning presenter, a TEDx speaker, Google certified trainer and innovator and certified coach. I mean, man, the list goes on and on. It's specialized in creative applications for mobile devices and Chromebooks at low-cost microspaces and gamified learning experiences, and the amazing founder of Solve It. I would like to welcome my friend Dee Lanner to the Pixel Classroom podcast. Hello, Dee. How's it going, Mr. Reed? Oh, you know me. Uh, you know, the, the doctor is up early, and uh, even though we're, we're, when this episode's being filmed, I just started winter break. My dog said, winter break? What's that? Get up at 5 Hey, Time to go outside. Hey, you, you probably didn't even mean that as a subtle correction, but I will. Um, I just heard it come from my mouth, and it... And it definitely needs to be corrected. Dr. Reed. Yes. Which is amazing. (laughs) You know, the last time I got to see you in person, you were Mr. Reed. But I have definitely heard all the great news and celebrate with you that uh, you defended your doctorate and that's amazing good stuff man i know and it's so funny i was actually talking uh the other day with a couple of the uh principal uh, ed um authors and two of them actually got their um their their doctorates uh, on this day about seven to six years ago it's very interesting that we're all kind of in the same thing and believe it or not i knew two of them were doctorates of education like me because some people say doctorate of education what i thought that was a phd a philosophy of doctorate and i said well it's still a doctorate i mean eight long years some people get it done in less time uh, when i was talking to stephanie she said well i did in three and a half and i said i hate you <laughs> <laughs> Three and a half years. What is a strange speakage of you you talk about? But anyhow, Dee, I want to thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. So, you know, even though I gave no you a, a big laundry list of accomplishments, which, you know, even makes me jealous, even with a doctorate here in my hand, mm-hmm. uh, why don't you give us a little background on your career in education? Well, you introduced yourself and I was like, wait, I forgot about this as well. I mean, you know that I used to be a business and technology teacher. That's one of our many connections. Uh, But my entry into education was a non-traditional route in that, you know, I got my master's and my undergrad in sociology. I definitely had a a particular passion in education. I I thought at the time that I would um, potentially go and become a counselor, things like that. Uh, But I, I actually chose the path of becoming a minister. And, and that was my full-time job. That's what I was doing. Then I started volunteering at a school and doing some in-school programming. And next thing you know, what I got called into the principal's office, thought I was getting fired from my volunteer gig and was offered a job. Uh, and that was in March. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and I had zero guarantees except, you know, this is to the end of the school year. And unbeknownst to any of the staff there at the school, I was actually miserable in my current job, was looking for something different, but was not volunteering at the high school for those purposes by any means. Um, 
they actually thought I was job hunting. They didn't know that I was a full-time job. That I was a, I was a full-time employee employee and a part-time student. I was, I was, uh, also in seminary. So it was pretty wild. And, uh, I became what I like to refer to as a, as a bouncer counselor. I've actually heard that. I remember that term actually when I was in high school. One of my counselors is what they called her. She was the bouncing counselor. I, well, I was a behavioral modification technician. Um, so I was supposed to deal with discipline issues as students were, uh, you know, causing a ruckus in the classroom, things like that. And then I, I was told regularly that I spent too much time processing with the students. So why don't I just come back as a teacher? <laughs> that's really interesting you spent so you know it's so funny for me like I went into IT and my plan was to kind of be there kind of like I said junior level administrator and it was so funny that after you know doing my internship in a year I was like I need to get in the classroom more and of course my problem was was fight my mother is put as my mother puts it you fought to get into the classroom where some people were it's kind of like oh you know what you need to be with the kids more and it's so funny my the people I worked with up until I was finally certified um, hard to believe a couple years later due to changes in the requirements it was so funny about how many people said you know he loves being in the classroom it's his passion but then no one was saying well maybe he needs to teach this class more full you know teach a class more full-time that was interesting here you were the opposite here you were yeah. like, you had the relationships you had the rapport with the kids mm -hmm. and they basically say no we got to put you in the classroom d yeah it has to happen today yeah that was that was the wild thing and then um they asked me to become a vocational studies teacher which i did and uh, and I really got to explore my own passions while teaching with students. Um, but I was required to teach business and I had no business teaching business. <laughs> <It was, laughs> I'm a sociologist teaching business. That's, that's what that was. That's interesting little case. I mean, it's like me, I actually had it. Cause you know, people always looked at me like you were a theater major. I'm like, yeah, but what's the biggest thing about theater? And they went all oh, marketing and business. I said, yeah, I mean, the truth was I was actually only two classes having a full minor and that was entrepreneurship and business law yeah. that's the only classes i had to take and believe it or not i almost ended up taking a business law class because there was a i had I had too much uh they found out later that i had too much of foreign language and they kept telling you need to do four semesters and it was found out towards the end i did it and i could have actually took that class i could have actually had the minor and i would have been fine because people were always saying like well you have more of a real world experience and you actually did take a lot of marketing in college i said yeah and that's what's so funny because when i became officially a business and technology teacher some of it came very natural to me because i had been doing it for years and i also worked in healthcare, which had to work a large part about business and um, technology so it's very interesting yeah. like i said here you had a completely different right major, and you were thrown right into business where to me it was like well it was always there until somebody actually gave me the title of a business right. tech teacher right. i never really right. thought of much about it yeah well there are some similarities i mean i i was an entrepreneur and i um, I actually sold technology. <laughs> you remember the EPC back in the oh, day, little netbooks? Oh, I remember those. Yeah, yeah. So I was an authorized reseller for those. I would flip them, um, put different versions of Linux on them, and then I began teaching my students how to do that. And then we started doing parent training and utilizing different software and platforms. So there was that happening. Uh, but then my, my sociological background really was really thinking around consumer ethics. Um, so I communicated in that way, as well as, as, as strongly looking at just the dynamics of marketing, um, looking at not only demographics, but geographics and psychographics, right? Like, so some similarities. Right. There. 
about understanding the world in which we live in and we operate in. And, and though I, I definitely uh, may not have had all of the robust background as I should have had, uh, I, was, I was able to really gain great relationships with my students, us really wrestle with the content, content, and then later start to gamify it, which is where I found my sweet spot and my success in the classroom. You know, that's very interesting because when I came in consumer ed, and the truth was like interview, resume, and buying a house and car budgets, whole, but I knew, I, I, I knew so well because I had been through such utter pieces between unemployment and working and, and, and running a, a small section of a, in a healthcare unit. I had to really understand that. My biggest thing was actually trying to show how to fit in the big world. And it's like, I was very one, I think for the first year or two, that's exactly what the kids were. The only difference was I tried to gamify it right off the bat. And some kids that loved it and some were looking at me like, what are you trying? How do you even make this a game? This doesn't make like, why are you making this a game? They, they absolutely did not understand that. And here, you know, you went into that experience and then you started gamifying. So what do you think are actually, and this is what I think, what is the dangers about gamifying too early versus gamifying as you feel your way through Like when we did to house budgets, it was very easy for me to do the games payday and monopoly. And the kids thought it made mm. sense. But when I tried to do like exchanges and settlers of Catan for, right. a, for macro economics and the economy, that's where the kids were just like, what are we doing? And it, right, was, right. It, was, it was the struggle. Yeah. So you actually touched on what I would say is part of the danger. And it's not, go, it's not necessarily, from a time standpoint, like doing this too early, as much as it is from a relational standpoint, doing it too early. And, and what I mean by relational, it is understanding what your, what your students already like, what they, what they enjoy. And the gamification, if, if gamification is all about enjoyment and engagement, it's around understanding what they enjoy and what they already engage with. And the danger often is an educator or an adult says, you know, this is what I enjoy. And so now I'm trying to transfer my enjoyment to the student. But if they, they don't know what Settlers of Catan is, they don't, uh, they don't even know how it operates, right? And if right. they don't enjoy it as a game, then you're at a deficit even in your initial attempt in comparison to oh, we know what life is, we know what payday is, we know what monopoly is, and these are games that we already enjoy. So then it is just connecting, you know, one thing to the other. But something that I later found out in uh, the, the app development world is this term called friction. And friction mm. in any point in which the user experiences something which is difficult that they actually weren't expecting and that they don't want to confront, right? right. So if you're, if you're beta testing uh, an application, for instance, and, and sometimes it's just the onboarding, right? It's like, wait, I clicked this button and here what I expected was this was going to happen, but instead nothing happened. And so then I had to start clicking around to figure out where to go next. And you know what? I just gave up. Right. Right. And yeah, that whole that, concept of I just gave up because what I expected didn't happen and or what I had hoped to be intuitive was actually much more complicated than I wanted. And I was just trying to progress forward. 
Right. And that, and that's exactly where I was going to. I mean, recently a couple things I did here in my multimedia class, I decided to use synth a little bit more. And of course it was a simple click, click. And then there were some changes, including age restrictions. So, and I kept forgetting some of my kids were not age right. So, I mean, luckily I had a backup, but a lot of them were expecting like, Oh wait, I, you showed it was supposed to be just click, 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 go. And some of them it was click, 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 go. And all of a sudden a lot of them were like, it's not doing that. And I did have a couple kids that said, I'm not doing this. I, I'll write you the script, but I'm not doing this. This is too complicated. And I said, well, I have the alternative with Flipgrid or I have the alternative with Anchor. And I said, no, I'm done. I said, okay, turn in the script. I, it's, it's on my fault because I expected a certain thing and I set you up for, I can't say set up for failure, but I set you up with high expectations that was going to work versus, well, my computer is just loading. I guess it's just my internet today. Yeah, yeah. and then, we are all <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I yeah. think that's a, good, that's a good point, and I think that really is. And then the truth is, D, I mean, you wear a lot of hats education. You've been both a tech coach. You've been an edupreneur since it's education, sure. entrepreneurship, yep. and education. So, you, you know, what is that like to be that? I mean, you, you, you have a large thing with the Google innovation and coach. I mean, people know with my doctorate, I, my plan is to go, was always planned was more in a curriculum. It wasn't until I was working at Jackson where I really got to see instructional coaches because even mm -hmm. though it was a private charter school, I had never seen that even though I had seen it in my previous internships as well as other schools. So, you know, what is it like to wear those many hats of education? I mean, you do with social emotional, you do with society. I mean, you, you, you've got more hats than I've ever had. <laughs> uh, it's wild. Uh, you know, so just recalling the fact that I, I was a seminary student and that that was what I was pursuing. There's, there's one concept that I would definitely introduce for any who is uh, unfamiliar, and that's just providence, right? And I really do see much of my journey as being providential. I was not necessarily pursuing everything that has happened. Like me volunteering at the high school, I had, that was me just exploring a passion. And as an outlet, that's what I was doing and had no idea that that was going to you know, open up a, a job opportunity. And that's literally all I saw it as was just a job that then later turned into a career. It wasn't, um, it wasn't expected or I wasn't expecting to later become a tech coach because I sat in on professional development in technology that I thought was, was pretty awful just to be yeah. <laughs> been there right? been there. Right. It was pretty, but what was also interesting was, is I had a lot more understanding and background that I did not recognize before then that my colleagues didn't. So on day two of this mandated PD, I knew that I had a decision to make, right? Do I just sit here and complain or do I turn to my colleagues and start actually helping them with some of the questions that I can see that they're having and they're not getting them from the facilitator. And so that was just another then passion that began to explore. I went up to the facilitators and, and asked, how do you get to do this? And they said, well, you can, you can either pursue a, a degree in this area or you can pursue some certifications in this area. I'm like, I have two and a half degrees already. I don't want to do that route. Oh, let me start pursuing certification. So then I just looked into it. Didn't know that I was a part of the second class ever of the Google trainer network at that time. Right. Okay, so then that put me on a directory. And the next thing you know what I was, uh, people were reaching out and asking if I could train them in Google apps in the G suite. And I'm doing that. And then uh, another time after I became a full-time coach a tech coach 
I began pursuing professional development, number one, because it was a requirement at my school to get outside PD. But secondly, I really wanted to grow in my, in my, in my skill. I just wanted to grow in my skill. So I started attending these, uh, the, these different summits. I put in to present thinking, you know, if I put in four or five of these proposals, then maybe they'll accept one. They accepted all of them. Right. So then next thing you know it, I'm presenting pretty much full time at this event. And that was on accident, so to speak. Uh, And then I pursued to go to another one because I wanted to meet the developers of the application uh, typing club because I was integrating typing club in our school. And this is real, real early. Not only was I then building relationships, but I didn't know that at these events that I was being evaluated and that I was getting praise, right? So it was just something else that as I was walking into passion, then opportunities were opening. And then I was also meeting fantastic people. And so next thing you know, I have a, a personal learning community that I'm connected to. So Pursuing my passions really has just opened up the doors. It wasn't necessarily anything that I pursued outright and said, you know, this is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to do and watch five years from now, I'm going to be blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to get better at what I do. And the best way for me to get better at what I do is for me to lean in on the things that I'm really, really passionate about and then to, to aim to be infectious and instructive back at my local community. That was it. My only purpose in pursuing some of the things that I've opened and up. I, I think you're bringing up a great idea. I mean, some don't. I mean, I, and we, and, you know, if you've listened to any other, other podcasts or other educators, it's almost a very similar story. You know, they had either burnout or they felt like, you know, I had to put it like one thing was me is once I had my first official full-time job as a technology uh facilitator is I said, I need to get out there more and learn some stuff. I only can watch so many YouTube videos. I only can follow right. so many people on Twitter. I can only look at so many groups to get into that. I mean, I remember when there was a Google plus group once upon a time, which was nice, but yes. I, I started going to ed, uh, ed camps. I threw out a couple um, local uh, pieces, Chicago, Springfield, whatnot. And I actually got set to two of them. I drove there, got up, went to, and I would start thinking, I mean, believe it or not, a lot of people I'm connected to, I met at ed camps and you know I started learning and doing it. I started pushing that more into it. and what was so weird is what you know I didn't change schools and then all of a sudden I was at a school where the, the higher the higher staff from instructional coaches to administrators were actually going to events they were going to California they were going to events and everything and then, and then they said well Ryan if you want it you should go do it and I said sure and then I put three out and then every single time it was like well you can't go because of x y and z you can't go y x y z I'm like why can't I go? And then all of a sudden I had two more people going. And then when I was at my current district, you know, ISTE came to Chicago and not cheap, you know, not like idea where, yeah, it's not cheap either, but you know, idea is much more affordable. There are more grants and our district is very supportive of going to idea. But then what happens, we had so many teachers that went to ISTE and a lot of us and me, I was one of the front people and people knew that was going to happen at that point in time. And I was like, I'm like, no, I've been here long, long enough. Now I can actually voice my, 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 uh, I would say my upsetness that, you know, 
why are you giving these people the opportunities? I'm one of the people who is more than willing to do stuff. I'm more than willing to help people. And then they finally say, oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. But then other people started to realize like, Hey, I agree. Like why did all of a sudden our, you know, I talked about a couple of things about things too. Then an entire math department went to a math, uh, professional development. All of a sudden they're using all the exact tools I've been using for a year or two. And I just looked at them like, so what you saw them in an area or because I was not a math teacher. And now of course, since you know, the pandemic remote and hybrid learning, every time something goes wrong, they, they call me first, unless it's something like, well, he can't fix that. I mean, that's, that's administration and it and they have to fix this on their end. But you know, the other day I had a pair deck situation and I immediately just told them like, Oh, you guys, you have an open session. He's like, yeah, I just can't get it. Like, oh, okay. Just go to the home page and you click on here. He's like, oh, I didn't even think of that. I just go through the add on on Google slides. I said, well, there is actually, and he knew about it cause he set up his account that way, but he was like, Oh, I didn't know where to find this. And then all of a sudden he went and told other people and then, they were off right. and running, yeah. but it's so funny. Some of the kids are saying, Oh, Mr. Reed's been doing this for a couple of years now, <laughs> or Miss Johnson yeah. over at the grade school was using it first. So she knows how to do stuff. So it's, it's interesting. Those connections that we are people mm -hmm. who wanted to take those on our P and then we're, then we tend to be the, as they say, professionals in the business, but it's interesting that it's still very hard for people. There's a push that almost goes into why do I need to learn that? Right. And yeah. Well, I, I would venture to say, actually, I already know this. I already know this. <laughs> sure, right. In when you're able to not only express your knowledge and understanding of something, but you're also able to showcase what your students have done or what they are doing. Right. You have you know, those anecdotes that are proving this is effective. Right. Like I can show you, you want to see examples. Let me show you what my students are now creating. And then in my case, when later that became, I was no longer personally in the classroom, but it was, let me show you what the students in this class are doing. Let me show you what the students in that class are doing. Then I think it really opens up people and understand, wait, we, we all got into this quote business for the sake of, of students. And when the students prove the possibilities of technology or whatever it may be, then it's kind of hard for teachers to argue with that. Then it right. comes down to, will they individually get over whatever uh, fear may be at play or whatever pride may be at play or whatever combination of both that says, you know what, I want to learn how to facilitate that in my classroom as well. But it really takes that massive shift from the educator thinking that they have to be the expert. They know they have to know exactly how to do everything and their competence is what's going to drive that class. It, it, they have to move away from that and more into, you know what, this is something that I'm less familiar with, but if I give it to my students, I'm pretty confident they can figure it out. And that's where the magic happens. Yeah, and I and I think that's the best best point too, especially in a, in a coach way where it's kind of showing that I know one of our uh, in our reading coaches is show like you know this worked for this person's class and this works for this person's class and we used X Y and Z and once they start seeing it, it I mean one thing that was done I just had my second evaluation which was completely remote but you know I set them too you know I've been teaching says so I've taught this long enough where I can show the kids like this is an example of this is the full thirty points and this is an example of this is not bad you're not going to get a D but it could be better. And then sometimes, and, and it's like, now I have enough examples to show them versus 
where it was for a while, like, well, you know, I know what it looks like. Here's a rubric. And then I'll know you'll, you'll definitely hear the opinion for me when I'm wowed by it. But now it's like, now I can actually show the kids what they need to strive for, what that bar is. And I, and it's just like, and it goes with the classroom teachers too. You know, once they saw what they could do at Pear Deck, what they saw they could do at Wakelet or Flipgrid, you saw more of that, but some teachers, it didn't work. And there, and there was no, against them. It's just like, it's not working for your classroom. Why are we going to force them to do that? I mean, it, it, it's just how it is. It's like esports. I mean, one of our math teachers, we tried it. It We couldn't really get it together. We had another teacher who found a way, but he had more of a relationship with that level and he found ways to do it. And, you know, he's made an esports as a result of it. It's just been very hard to do in the current situation. We had nothing set online for those same kids to work on it because of the pandemic. And, you know, that's very interesting. We talk about that journey. Let's talk about solve it. Where actually did that idea come about? And how does it evolve from this form to where it is now? Because, I mean, solve it's come a long way since you were doing it on a uh, YouTube video, Google Hangout, I remember of, and a certain yeah. other uh, educator who had something called App Dice come about. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about something about that. Who was that guy? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was you. Yes, it was. <laughs> and I still have them on the occasion. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, man. Well, so much of what we've been talking about is parallel to the story of Solving Time in that is a journey. And it was one thing that started as, as something. And then it opened up another thing. And it opened up another thing. And the next thing you know, it, it's its own thing. And it was not necessarily set out to be that. Uh, but its early its early starts were that it there was something that I was working on that was a choose your own adventure app smashing experience. That was really it, right? Right. Because I'm personally I have heavy bias towards students having agency and complete random opportunities creating something that's unexpected, right? Right. So, uh, for me, it was just, it was Google Slides, and it was, if you were to combine this application with this application uh, in order to create something, then what problem might you solve doing that? And that was its first sort of go at it, and it was a hot mess. But kids actually loved it. Well, here's what I learned. The kids loved the, the app smashing concept because they also love the, oh, we get to play with a new application and we get to learn it. And then we get to play with another application and get to learn it. But what I recognized after a, amount of, a little bit of time was if I really wanted to center this experience on solving real world problems, which was really like the core of what I was after. And as a, as a social justice junkie, that's something that I wanted to bring into the learning experience for my students. I recognize I was introducing back to that concept concept of friction. I was introducing too many forms of friction at the same time. It was like, right. okay, what problem am I trying to have the student solve? I'm trying, am I trying to have them solve the problem of figuring out Flipgrid and then figuring out Buncey and then figuring out how to combine them? Is that the challenge? Right. <laughs> Which is a good point. Right. Or is the challenge back to whatever the said problem was? Like, for instance, we said that within our our school building, there was way too much energy waste and it just was there was way too much energy waste and it had a lot to do with how the construction of the building was. And if the problem was that and 
we looked at energy waste and then we needed to define specifically what was that energy waste. And, and then we eventually got to the point of recognizing that our air handlers were running so high because they needed to constantly cool down this really high ceiling building and we couldn't do anything with that. But what we could do is recognize how we can maybe reduce our noise levels. And if we did that, then we actually created less heat, which would then in turn reduce the amount of time that the air conditioning ran, right? So that was a big enough and lofty enough and amazingly enough challenge in and of itself. So it was like, how do we center on that as the problem? And then if we bring in app smashing, how can that be subtly introduced in comparison to it being like the main thing. So those were just problems that needed to be solved as I was developing this process. And my understanding of design thinking and human-centered design started to come into play. And then what I have to credit the most for actually presenting in front of teachers. Because what I recognize is, is that students are incredibly resilient and are more likely to fill in the gaps where there is lack of understanding right? right right so if there's like lack of clarity between how you get from point a to point c and that b is that missing point students are super creative in ways to figure out how to get there with those ambiguous instructions in my experience in presenting what was smashboard edu and later became solvent time is that teachers needed that gap filled for them they're like but how do you get from here to here so how do we get from this is a problem and this is how you creatively share out your your solution so then that became oh what we need to do is systematize this in such a way that it makes sense for all learners young and old so then it became a design thinking process that was being designed thunk about yeah, right. All right. <laughs> I had to apply design thinking to this design thinking activity to develop it in such a way that was still highly engaging for students, but also clear for the educator, because if they're the ones that are to present it before their students, they need to get it as well. Right. And I, I think you, per, because people always ask me like, you know, where, you know, where the app dice are. And I still have teachers and I still use them in my classroom and I've used choice board and I've, I've definitely feel I've evolved it to what I call the, I mean, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I always said like D found a way to actually evolve where app dice needed to go. Cause the original concept was a elementary school. Um, I believe the blog was Thomas Sellen was a blog and his blog doesn't exist anymore. But what he did is their school had gotten one-to-one -one iPads. And what they had done, they printed out a bunch of stickers, you know, Avery labels, put them on dice. And basically it was tools they had. And they had the teacher basically, you know, they had gone through the training, like we're going to talk to annotation tools. We're going to talk to you about digital classroom tools. We're going to talk to you about presentation tools. And then what they did is they had to take their lessons and then they did these dice and then they would look and see if those dice, and it was usually three or four dice, but they had to look and say, does that actually work? with the lesson and some teachers say yes I can do this because of XYZ they can read the great Gatsby and annotate the notes of where the main ideas and stuff like using sketch using you know um, notes but then that was where it stopped they just basically say how do you use this app for this lesson and I just want to say why don't you just roll the dice and what comes up 
you use unless it's absolutely just not possible to do. I said nine times out of 10, they're, 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 those apps can be used in some form or another. And that's where AppDice came. And that's why they caught on so much. Cause you know, I took that thinking like, stop trying to limit yourself and actually yeah. try to give yourself a challenge. Give the kids a challenge. There it is. And go and do that. That's why I ran the, the junior genius hour where I would introduce a bunch of apps for various things. And then they would go roll them and they would blog and they would actually make a lesson. I had a student that actually created um, using um, Puppet Maker EDU, created a weird sock creature and then used um, <laughs> um, used Chatit to actually make them talk. And they actually gave them a background and they put it all together. And it, and it turned into some of the funniest comedies. And I had one student where, you know, before we had more copyright issues with videos, where they found a way to use videos in an actual thing. Talk about chocolate. Why is chocolate so good? Why are kids doing it? What are the bad things about chocolate? I had fifth graders telling you why chocolate was bad for them, even though these kids had no sense of any health issues to begin with. But that's what it did because that, that's what it was. And it's like I evolved it, but then it turned into my problems. I didn't know where to take it. And like you said, you talked mm -hmm. about the developmental thinking. That's why two years ago when I was finally given the clearance, like, yes, write your dissertation, Ryan. Go do your interviews. I took your cards and I had to put them each by it because that was the only way I was going to develop the process. <gasps> I finally said, yeah. like, I, I didn't say, okay, I know what chapter one because people don't know this about dissertations. You have the first three chapters done before you do any kind of re true, re true actual live data, whether it's numbers in a survey, you actually talk to person like, so tell me how exactly this work or what were the problems, you know, which people have read my dissertation by now see that. But it's like, you have the first three done. You've done your research. You've gotten your plan. You've seen how it works, where it's not work. Where's the gaps? And then you go do it. And I finally said like, how do I conduct these interviews? How exactly do I look at the data? So the interview process was the walk in the park. I knew the system. I knew what to look for. I looked for things. But then I was like, okay, how do I put together? You know, I put together a giant whiteboard, which was my son's. He never used anymore because he was out yeah. through it. I took your solve it cards and I put each one on. And I left the SOS card saying, if I get really stuck, I need to ask for some help here. And a couple That's times amazing, I, I got man. stuck, I would actually take that SOS card and put it in like, I'd contact somebody on Twitter. I'd talk to somebody in general and so forth but then that's what helped me because it could you know I, I don't have the main cards in front of me right now and i know they've been updated since then but one of the question is is where is the problem i said well the problem's easier how are they not utilizing the mobile technology and what is actually allowing them and then the next question is how have they solved it well that's easy they've told me how they solve it but then the third question was from it was well what does that actually mean and i went oh that's that that's a, what does it mean? And that's of course the point of a dissertation. What does it actually mean? And then after that, I want it. But I was like, that was the thing was that developmental and computational right. thinking, which was missing yes. from app dice, which yeah. was happening. It wasn't like yeah. it wasn't yeah. happening. Right. Was like the original dice. That was the one thing is they weren't, they were saying, okay, what am I familiar with? And how is it going to make the lesson digital? As I say, if you take a worksheet and make it a Google doc or a hyperdoc, it's still a worksheet. Maybe you've taken a little higher up, and a true hyperdoc is not just a worksheet. It's something much right. different. Right. But that's the exact info. And I, I was like saying, that's what they were doing. They were, they were doing the substitution model of, of Smiry was, what do you substitute? Okay, I'm reading The Great Gatsby. How do I annotate the book without messing it up for things? Well, I got a digital version. There's how I'm using iBooks. And then I can use book snaps like Tara Martin. I, okay, you've substituted. Right. Now what? And that's where app dice came from because i said yeah. well maybe yeah. because I, I had a kid one time he did front back and his older sister had front back and he looked at me like front back because i could take a front camera and then all of a sudden i looked at him like well think about that how would front back work what do you really want to do is like well i want to talk anyone oh, i've got it i'll show the difference between what a 
tree looks like when it's supposed to be healthy and a tree when it's not doing it. I'm like, and they'll be on the same picture. I'm like, exactly. Or you say, or I said, you can do a before or after. I did a, a meme where I had a teacher like taking a picture with her big camera and the look on my face was like this. And basically we made the meme is when your teacher wants to share you on social media. But it made it made a funny meme, and we actually put on the main web page. And they went, "Oh, Ryan and Carla messing around again." That's funny. You know, this it's real interesting too. Is you brought up, you know, some of the things that you learned along the way with App Dice, and and then how to, you know, its evolution um, has been amazing and has been deeply influential for me. And that was part of my journey as well was to both understand all of the different influences that I had, but then had to really personally commit to saying, but what can I offer that's actually different that can be used in supplement to some of these other resources that have influenced or helped me in my thinking. So for instance, you know, I already came to the table with a, a heavy understanding and commitment to equity issues and social justice. So I already had that. I was already introduced to design thinking in education. And so I had that. And then I was, you know, introduced here and there to like dive into inquiry. And so that was a concept that I just really, really appreciated and enjoyed. And then passion projects and 20th time and then hyperdocs and then app dice. And there was a, there was something that was consistent or common denominator amongst all of those in that it was around students exploring their passions and the teacher being the facilitator. And once I learned, you know what, this is not about me just replicating a remix of a hyperdoc, but instead, you know, learning and gleaning from the things that are incredibly valuable, but if if I have a commitment and a passion to solving real problems, and that's not what any of these others are attempting to do per se, then how do I lean into that commitment and make something based on these influences or, or informed by these influences, but make something that's solely for that purpose? And that was like, once that was unlocked, then it was that commitment, okay, gonna keep working, going to keep working. So then when it came to, okay, I want my students to be able, or adults, to be able to share their solution out creatively, then that's where, oh, wait a minute. Remember App Dice? That's where that influence came back. And it's like, right. wait, what if they were to choose a skit or a play or a story or a poem? What if that's what came from my cards? You know what would be an awesome add-on? Was if they had App Dice to be able to say, okay, which app might we try in order to do that? And they roll the die and like, oh, snap. That's what we're going to try and we're going to do that. So the ability to add on to this, this framework was something that eventually, once that framework was set and it was, it was clean, right? right. Getting the confused faces and the confused thought bubbles from, from, from teachers and from students. Once that started working, it was like, okay, now how can, this experience be added on uh, and how can some of these other resources that have been amazing in the educational community be embraced as part of this process and not just a, it's clear D that you're just trying to do something slightly different than what 
Ryan's done or right. what uh, Lisa Highfield and the, and the rest of the Hyperdox ladies have done. Or just like, it's like, no, that, that was never my intention. But right. I think whenever we are being influenced by others, especially those that we appreciate, it takes us a, us a little bit of time to find our own voice right? And to find our own lane because early on, we're just so heavily influenced. It's like, it's like a number eight Kobe, right? Like how much he tried to be like Michael <laughs> and everybody <laughs> called him out for it. <laughs> right? well, and they, they always joke about imitation is the biggest form of flattery, but that is true. It's like me and my genius hour. It's like, I read Don Wetrick and also I tried to do genius hour. I mean, I know he knew what it was. And like, I did a much more smaller case where I think it worked better where I had the kids taking both your solve it, my app dice idea and the genius hour where I said, okay, guys, this is a little different for your final project. And I felt I got this best because, you know, here I taught the class. I give them tons of tool everywhere to really what they could do with a Google, edu you know, Google tool to things like Synth and Flipgrid and Adobe Spark. And I finally said, okay, if you were given the opportunity to redo a lesson, I said, it doesn't matter if it is, you know, about, you know, the Civil War, if you wanted to talk about the points of a cell, how could you redo it doing that lesson? And I, and I think I got some of the most creative things to where like, yeah, I even had some kids where they said, you know, I did this in eighth grade. I love doing the assignment, but I did X, Y, and Z. And I had to do this. And I said, yeah, instead of presenting it, which you do have to do, and we can't really do blogging right now, just do the flip grid. I'm going to give you the screen recording ability or if it really feels bad, then just shut off the camera, give me your voice and do it. And it was just amazing what I saw. And some of them, it was very simple. Like I didn't, I, my simple show, I always introduce in my animation unit. I don't use it a lot, but I had so many kids that did a narration about, you know, the start of world war one or actually talking about what was the, you know, the, um, the rise of Western colonization. And it was just, it was just, you know, with the characters and stuff. And even though they had the free version, they just did so much. And one of them sent it to one of their previous middle school teachers. And he said, boy, I wish this tool had existed back then. Cause I think this would make my lesson better. And she told him like, well, why don't you just use it this year? And he went, can I? Oh yeah. And he emailed <laughs> me. I said, I said, you can use it, Dave, but it's yeah. free. And you just set up, they just set up their account. I'm like, here's my video if you want it. And he went, oh, okay, thanks. I'll use it next semester. But a lot of, I even had teachers who are more tech savvy to said, I didn't even know about this tool. I said, I, yeah. I learned about it years ago because of some of my connections. And it's very interesting because I always say, you know, my X factor is I'm a crafter. I can craft a lot of things. Else. You do, you've got a, quite the hats on there. What do you think out of everything, you know, we've talked about today, what is your X factor? That one true uh, piece of you that you use that brings it engaged students, staff, that true gift that you bring to the classroom or to the uh, school in general? I would hope to say that it is a combination of my enthusiasm and my curiosity uh, that and those both sound like really just lofty or whatever, but seriously, I don't really commit to doing anything that I'm not very enthused about. You know, there are certain things in, in education and in every workplace, there are certain things that we're all required to do. And in our commitment to do what is expected of us is something that we should all lean in and make sure that we do. But then considering, well, what are the things that I absolutely love to do? Those are the things that I can bring my best to. And so I can bring my enthusiasm to those places and I can stand out in doing that. And then when it comes to any question mark, absolutely any question mark, the things that I am confused about, it's that curiosity of, you know what, if I think if I ask 
enough questions. And if I ask those questions of the right people, I may be able to find those answers. And that requires collaboration, right? It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to go Han Solo and figure this thing out. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, Sherlock Holmes. And if I just ask all the right questions, then my brilliant mind will be able to figure out the puzzle. But instead saying, you know what, if I can bring my enthusiasm to the places in which I am highly passionate, and if I can bring my questions and my curiosity to the people who actually may have those answers, then we may be able to, and notice the, the operative word is we, Yeah, <laughs> we may be able to figure out something together and then I get excited in my enthusiasm, right? right? Kicks in again. It's like, wait, I didn't know the answer to this before. I was operating in deficit, but now I know, and this was something that got unlocked. And now I can't help but to like be a walk. My wife calls me a walking billboard or a walking. <laughs> right. So I would say that that's it. And people just think that I have, you know, passion or enthusiasm all the time. And I'm like, no, that's not true. It just so happens to be that I tend to speak up about the things that I have enthusiasm for. And so if I can, if I can bring that enthusiasm and get others around me excited about something that I am truly just, I can't help it. If I'm excited about something, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> you're going to know about it. Right. And, I, and I think that's the best way right there with the last questions, like about how you bring that enthusiastic learning experience to your students. You've talked about and how to really show them that leadership. And I think, you know, solve it time is really done, but also your passion, enthusiastic. I know I do it. One thing when I had, I always have the kids do a, you know, you know, what, did, you know, what did you like about the semester? What didn't you like? And what do you think you can be better? And one thing they all said is like, you know, I'm glad because you came into, even when the, when the lessons were boring and we knew you had to teach them because you are, I mean, like I said, I always joke because like the kids know they, they know sometimes teachers have to teach things because it's required. And then they do try to find a way to make them own enthusiastic. Like I did something new where I went out in the wild, even with the pandemic away from everybody where I filmed things to make it relate to macroeconomics. And mm. I think I saw more kids engaged in that piece more yeah. than they ever have. And it's just yeah. like, it's some, I just had to try something new and it right. worked. I, I got my footing as it went on, but at the same time as it worked well to get engaged in that leadership and i said i'm not changing hopefully i'll film a couple more through right. here and i would like to continue that way but you know it just became a question of time right. and location right. it was so funny but right there you know you bring that enthusiasm and the truth is if it's something you're going to but if you're enthusiastic and you got the curiosity mm -hmm. you're do it too no no doubt and it's interesting you know you have a background in in business in technology and theater and that combination is like the ultimate unlocking, I think. And you have that because of your experience, because of your education, because of your exposure. And I think that once we can recognize, oh, wait a minute, there was no like secret formula or path to success that got me here. It was me following my passions and getting some understanding and all. So wait a minute, my job as an educator is to do that for students mm -hmm. so that I can unlock their different you know, create levels of creativity and, and commitments to creativity in, of expression in different ways. And if I can see myself as I need to get out of the way in order to allow for that and to learn from them and then to be like caught up in that moment with the rest of the students in the community of, did y'all see that? Did you see that? Right. That's when I think magical things happen in the classroom when the teacher is, um, is really legitimately surprised 
by the amazing things that students create. And that happens very regularly because they create the conditions for that creativity to be explored and to be showcased. That's, that's really it in, in my opinion and in my experience of how students really step up and show off <laughs> in, in really amazing ways. And I think that perfectly says it right there. Dee, is there anything else you want to share with us here in the, you know, in the last few minutes we have left here before we uh, call us, uh, first of all, a great, amazing podcast here just before the, before Christmas here, because this is filmed just before Christmas and (laughs) everything else. I mean, we got crazy schedule. I gotta go make some raviolis with the family here. (laughs) There it is. is. I mean, I would just, if there's anything I'd like to share, it would just be that open door to be uh, accessible to your audience, because I want to hear from them. I want to continue to get better. Uh, I want to continue to listen to narratives in which I am unfamiliar with. And I want to just be in dialogue and to maybe help uh, prompt others. And so if you follow me on social media at D Lanier or or even at Solve in Time, uh, you go onto the website at solveintime.com and download some of the resources that are there, including uh, some random ideation opportunities, app yeah. dice-ish. Uh, <laughs> getting that direct feedback from what's from you and what's working, you know, what challenges exist and or inviting me to your classroom to have a little bit of time with your students. I, I, I have to say that, that might be a more thing here, especially with Grant, because I, I know we used a lot of the solve it time for, of course, entrepreneurship, because that's how they program items and why that's up yeah. this year. I think for what we're doing for intro to graphic design, since we're taking a more of an entrepreneurship role, I think that I might be taking you up on that offer once we have it on that. So I'll definitely say that. Also, he has t-shirts. I bought one. <laughs> Those <laughs> are in beta. Those are in beta. They're not well, even. Well, you had a long sleeve shirt, and I had two long sleeve shirts at the then. And I said, I, I miss having the shirt. And then all of a sudden, he's like, I have this, and it's this price. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so all right. Well, D, thank you again for being part of the Pixel Classroom podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah, well. If you want to learn more about the Pixel Classroom Podcast, remember we are on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and Amazon Podcasts. You can also copy the RSS feed right into your device. If you like what you hear, please think of subscribing and please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again, listeners, and I will talk to you again later on the Pixel Classroom Podcast.